It's the Victorian Variety Show. Welcome to a Victorian Variety Show podcast mini-sode. I'm your host, Marissa. And as I announced toward the end of my last episode, I plan to do two shorter episodes during the month of January as a bit of a break from the ones that I normally do. But since I generally put out new content every two weeks and I want to stay in that mindset, and also most of my regular episodes are only about a half hour long, my quote unquote break is going to consist of cutting back on the amount of writing that I do for my scripts this month because most of the preparation that I do for each episode goes into that, and I'm a pretty slow writer. But I still want my information to be as accurate as possible, so I am scripting this episode as well. But I'm going to focus on topics that I don't feel that I could do a full-length episode on, but at the same time, I do think they deserve more than just a paragraph or two which is all that they might get if I were to include them in a regular episode. Hopefully, everything I just said makes sense. One topic that I haven't really covered on this show yet is toys from the Victorian era. Unless you count mourning dolls and death kits for children, which I did an episode on this past summer, as toys. I would really like to do a longer, more comprehensive episode on toys at some point. But for now, I'm going to look at an invention that, even though I've seen it described as a toy, really paved the way for something that's an important part of the lives of many children and adults today, which is animation. Although I count myself as one of those adults who's into animation, And I personally don't mind the word toy. And also, it's important to note that devices like these were frequently marketed as such. I do feel that that word tends to trivialize the importance of these devices in some people's eyes. The item that I'm talking about in this case is the zoetrope. A cylinder with an open top, vertical slits on the sides, and a row of sequential images on its inner surface. You would rotate the images by spinning the cylinder by hand, and at the same time, watching through the slits. So, if it was spinning fast enough, it would actually look like the images were moving. The zoetrope was not the first of its kind. According to Wikipedia, Earthenware bowls and lamps dating back thousands of years have been found in Iran and China that feature sequential images which, when spun, appear to be moving. But it is not clear whether the artist intended to create the illusion of motion. Intention is everything. However, in an article called Circling the Zoetrope, a Victorian animation toy that helped shape the future of cinema, Emma Taggart explains that it was a variation of the, I'm sorry if I mispronounce this, phenakistoscope, which consists of a spinning disc with sequential images that was vertically attached to a handle. Wikipedia credits the invention of the phenakistoscope 
which was invented around 1832, primarily to two men, Joseph Plateau, a Belgian physicist, and Simon Stampfer, an Austrian geometry professor. And to clarify, it does seem that each man independently developed his own design for the disc around the same time. In other words, they don't appear to have worked together. Within a few years, other inventors were creating their own version of the Phenakistoscope. Wikipedia tells us Plateau didn't patent his invention, although I'm not sure whether Stamford did. However, most versions could only be viewed by one person at a time, and the images tended to become distorted when they were spun too fast. Plateau began writing about this invention in early 1833, and the quote-unquote phantasmoscope, as it was referred to in London publications, and which I like better than phenakistiscope because I can pronounce it easier, soon captured the attention of a British mathematician named William Horner, who dreamed up what is pretty much the cylindrical version with slits between the images, which we know today as the zoetrope, even though Horner called his invention the Daedalum. Some of the sources that I looked at in putting this episode together say that this name is a reference to the Greek myth of Daedalus and Icarus, in which, just in case you didn't have to read it in school like I did several times, Daedalus created a set of wings held together by wax and warned Icarus, his son, not to fly too close to the sun. And, of course, Icarus disobeyed. But others, such as the Object Lesson site and a blog post by Chris Cotterill called Early Pioneer William George Horner, tell us that the Daedalim was also referred to as the quote-unquote Wheel of the Devil. According to Cotterill, a viewer could watch from any point and see the same succession of images. And, unlike its predecessor, more than one viewer could watch at a time. Although, because the slits tended to be thin, they could be difficult to look through. Horner intended to publish his creation, but Taggart says that it, quote, met with some impediment probably in the sketching of the figures, end quote. And even though similar devices appeared over the next three decades, none of them really posed any threat to the myriad versions of the still popular phenakistoscope that were on the market. Then, in the mid-1860s, a student at Brown University in Rhode Island named William Ensign Lincoln created a version of Horner's device on which the viewing slits were positioned above the images. That enabled users to more easily replace the strips of images. Lincoln coined the term zoetrope, or quote-unquote wheel of life, based on the Greek words zoe for life and tropos for turning. And according to Wikipedia, was advised by a local bookstore owner to license a model to board game manufacturer Milton Bradley. The zoetrope was first advertised as, you guessed it, a children's toy 
by Milton Bradley in December of 1866. And the manufacturer eventually sold series of zoetrope strips, which makes sense because people tend to get bored when they see the same images over and over again. According to an ad for a Milton Bradley zoetrope that I found online, it looks like the device came with a strip illustrating the so-called Grecian bend, in which a well-dressed woman transformed into a camel. And some examples of strips that you could buy separately showed men rowing boats or walking with umbrellas in the rain, frogs bouncing balls in the air, whales jumping up and down in the water, acrobats jumping through hoops, and cute dogs catching balls in their mouths. I've mentioned in several previous episodes that the Victorian era was an important time for scientific and technological innovation, so it should come as no surprise that inventors seemed as eager to outdo each other in the field of entertainment and recreation as they were in other areas. And so, just a year after Lincoln patented his zoetrope in 1867, Scottish mathematician James Clerk Maxwell created what Wikipedia calls an quote-unquote improved version that, instead of slits, used concave lenses with focal lengths that equaled the cylinder's diameter. This allowed the image to be seen in the center and in sharper and steadier focus. And it wasn't long before the zoetrope started to see competition from the praxinoscope, which featured a design similar to the zoetrope, but replaced the viewing slits with tiny mirrors, and the flipbook, to name just a few. But hopefully, you're starting to see the progression from the spinning drums created by Horner and Lincoln, and the type of animation that we see on, say, Adult Swim today. Obviously, we've come a long way in terms of animation, most of which today is digital although Taggart names some contemporary artists who use actual zoetropes in some way today. But I also think you can see that without the handcrafted animation of the zoetrope 160 years ago, we might not see any animation today, or at least it would look very different. And you still see the term zoetrope used every now and then today, such as in American zoetrope, which is the name of a film production company that was founded by Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas in 1969 and is responsible for some of the most popular films of all time, including the Godfather films, Apocalypse Now, and Bram Stoker's Dracula, to name just a few. I'm going to end my discussion of the zoetrope here. My intention here was mostly to give you an idea of how the zoetrope came about and of how it worked, as well as how it influenced what came afterward. But I think it's a very good example of how inventions don't just appear in a vacuum, even during periods of scientific and technological progress, such as the Victorian era or our present era for that matter. Also, it reminds us that even though our animation today is much more advanced than it was 160 years ago, I think we owe gratitude to the inventors of the past. And again, 
even though calling it a quote-unquote toy, isn't incorrect. A case could be made that the zoetrope was much more than just a toy. But now, I want to know what you think. Email me at the Victorian Variety Show at gmail.com or leave me a voice message at anchor.fm slash marissa-d96 slash message. You can also follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash victorianvariety1. And if you'd like to support the show financially, there are a few ways you can do that. You can buy me a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash marissadf13 or leave a donation on the Good Pods app or on my Linktree page, to which I have a link in the show notes. And finally, I would greatly appreciate it if you could subscribe if you haven't already and if you could take a moment to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Spotify, Podchaser, Audible, or wherever you listen, as that will help this podcast reach more listeners. Thank you so much for listening and for all of your support of my show and your feedback this past year and a half. I am really hoping that you enjoyed this shorter episode, and I'll be back in two weeks with another one. Also, even though I didn't open this episode with a quote, as I usually do, I am going to end it with a description of the zoetrope that I found online. This is not the same ad that I referred to a few minutes ago. It looks like this one appeared in a catalog of some sort. And I chose it because even though it's clearly referred to as a toy in this little advertisement, I think this description captures the sense of wonder and the possibilities of a type of invention like the zoetrope. mechanical and optical toy, affording amusement to old and young. It is an exemplification of the persistence of vision and is a valuable aid in illustrating the wonders of optics. The turning of the drum or cylinder brings into view the varying form or position of a figure in rapid succession until they blend into a perfect image full of motion and natural action. By placing the apparatus in a suitable light, a number of persons can examine it at the same time.